Well, I read a little bit ago about a woman. Uh, she was visiting a church, and this church was a rather structural, very kind of somewhat of a formal church. And uh, as the, the pastor was preaching, he'd say something she agreed with, and she would punctuate his points by saying, well, praise the Lord. And a little later on, he'd say something, oh, praise the Lord. And then the third time, he said something, and praise the Lord. Finally, the woman ahead of her turned around and said, excuse me, ma'am, but we do not praise the Lord in this church. And so, but the man down the pew heard the conversation, read down and says, oh, yes, we do. It's on page 19, you know, or whatever. So anyway, we're going to talk about worship for just a little while. We're going to talk about praising and worshiping. It kind of flows out of what we talked about a few weeks ago as we were um, you know, talking about what happens when we're in a spiritual rut and, you know, kind of you know, going through the motions, not necessarily anything bad, but, you know, our times with God are not fresh. And we talked about some things that we can do to have an extended period of time with God. And one of the things that we talked about in that is, is practicing the presence of God, being able to, to literally focus on and, and seeing God in everything around us. And that kind of led me to where we are here and for the next few weeks to just focus on worship. And focusing on God and, and, and praise and, and literally practicing the presence of God. And so that's why, after I you know, talk about it a little bit here uh, from the word of God, that's why we're going to do it. You know, at the very end, we're going to spend some time. Uh, what's that? Hey. <laughs> we don't praise the Lord in this church. <laughs> Ah, uh, thank you, Rose. I'm so glad you're not watching us virtually today. <laughs> you're you know, I, I think we would all agree as Christians um, that we understand that as human beings, we have a longing, you know, and a desire that reaches all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created us. He created us in a perfect fellowship and a, a perfect unity with him. You know, something that we can't even imagine. I mean, we, we have sin in our lives and, you know, and the sin around us and the temptation, all these things, you know, that are constantly bombarding us in the midst of that we're trying to fight through this to God and, and to see God and to worship him. And, and, but but in, deep within us is this desire to get back and have just an, an, an unfettered relationship with God, to be able to be able to focus on him and, you know, regain that wonder of the, the Garden of Eden. Um, it says when Adam and Eve sinned, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we all know these verses, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. I mean, up to this point, totally unfettered relationship with God, but suddenly when sin entered into their lives, the first thing they did is they hid from God. They hid from the presence of God and to be able to be, to be seen by God. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, way back in the Bible begins, you know, in these first chapters with that incident. But the exciting thing is in Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 5, this is how it ends. It says in Revelation 22, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
In the middle of its streets, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. So you have these, these two kind of bookends in, in, in all of Scripture. The fall of man hiding himself for God. But because of Jesus Christ's his death on the cross is offered to forgive our sins, that relationship being restored, that one day it's going to be just like it was in the Garden of Eden. That relationship to know God. And we will reign forever and ever. And all of Scripture, all of everything in between those, those two events is the record of both God and man's attempts to reclaim that cherished relationship. You know, that which fell way back in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, think about it as you follow through the Old Testament. You can see way back in the book of Exodus, you know, it is seen this, this desire to reclaim that relationship. It's seen in the covenant promises that God made to man. Remember in Exodus 33, you know, when, when Moses was leading his people out of Israel and he's restoring and he's beginning to teach them about that relationship. It says in that verse 14, it says, and he said, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The presence of God, that promise of the presence of God. And God's presence was manifested supernaturally. You know, it says in, uh, later on, verse 13, 21, it says, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day or by night. Once again, you know, the presence, the essence of God. You can see it in the Old Testament in the tabernacle and later on in the temple as the Lord, the Shekinah glory cloud would make its dwelling between the Ark of the Covenant, between those two angels' wings that point inward. God's presence was there. He wanted to reveal himself to the people Israel. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And we all know what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. Jesus Christ. God, God coming. God coming to have a relationship with us. And today in the church, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Something very special happens. We are saved. And to seal that salvation, to guarantee that salvation, God sends the Holy Spirit into our heart. God, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residency within us. You see, all of history is an attempt for us to reclaim that hunger, that desire that we lost at the Garden of Eden. Because today, though, too often God's people, like Adam and Eve, we find ourselves hiding from God, don't we? You know, we, 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 we're afraid somewhat of the presence of God. Um, or maybe more than, maybe better put, rather than saying we hide ourselves from God, is that it's easy for us to just grow indifferent to him. 
you know, we kind of live our lives. God's there, and we've got church and these commitments and responsibilities. But, you know, certainly that relationship in the garden, that isn't something that we even is on our radar. Sometimes we have eyes to see, but we do not see and ears to hear that we do not hear. Forgetting that the Lord is present with us every day. If you're a Christian, living in your heart, God is here with us. I was reading a couple weeks ago about the Taj Mahal. Uh, the Taj Mahal was built by Emperor Shah Jahan. It was built in memory of his favorite wife. Um, her name was Mumtaz Mehar. I probably mispronounced that. Um, but his wife passed away. And they had a very, very close relationship. The queen, who had passed away, she was greatly loved by the people of India. Uh, loved because of her work amongst the widows and the benevolent work that she did with the orphans. Well, upon her death, the emperor resolved to memorialize her life and her work with a building, a temple. And that temple was going to serve as her tomb. And that's how the beginning of the Taj Mahal was built. Wanted to remember her. Wanted to remember her work so nobody would ever forget. Now it's told for the first two years that his grief drove the project. But pretty soon his grief was replaced by his passion for the building project. He was, you know, this, I mean, if you've seen pictures of the Taj Mahal, um, I was reading statistics of it. I mean, it, this is city blocks that this covers. Uh, unbelievable wonder of the world that was built there. And he became so passionate about this project that pretty soon he forgot about his queen. And more importantly, he forgot about all of her works. And so focused was he on the building project that he began to let his attention on the kingdom and his deceased wife's passions kind of fall by the wayside. So distracted had he become that finally his fourth son was able to kill his older brothers and usurp his father on the throne and, and take over being emperor. I mean, think about this. I mean, how could somebody get so engrossed in building a temple that they forget why they were building the temple? I mean, could someone really construct a palace yet forget the one whom the palace is constructed for? You know, I think if we can answer that question, we might be able to answer some of the questions we have about the church. I mean, the next time you enter this place of worship, position yourself where you can see people and just watch how people come into the church service, the worship service. I mean, in the midst of the worship, you can tell the ones who remember the slain ones. You can tell when people are engaged, they're wide-eyed, they're expectant. You know, they're, they're, they're attentive because of the king's presence. You don't doze in the presence of royalty. You don't yawn while receiving a gift. You know, especially when the giver of the gift is God himself. You can also tell the ones who only see the temple. They're only focused on the temple. Their eyes wander, their feet shuffle, their hands doodle. You know, their mouths are open, but not for praise, more to yawn. Because no matter how hard you try to stay amazed, all temples, even the Taj Mahal, lose their luster after a while. The temple gazers, they don't mean to be bored. They love the church. 
You know, they can recite the programs of the church. They're involved in the church. They don't mean to grow stale, but they put on their hats and their coats and their ties and their dresses, and they come every week. And, and still something is missing. I mean, the, the one whom they have built this house for hasn't been honored in their lives for quite some time. But those who have seen him, they can't seem to forget him. People come here every week and they worship, not because of the temple, not because of the house, but often in spite of it. And they fight through all the distractions of their life and all the, you know, the you know, the organizational things that we have going and all the steps and they all fall to the wayside because they are here to see the king. The temple builders and the, the savior seekers, you're going to find them both in every single church. One sees the structure and says, what a beautiful church this is. The other sees the savior and say, what a great Christ we serve. So let me ask you, what do you see in your life at this point? I think as a believer, we can say we all have ups and downs in our life. Are you at the place where, you know, you're, you still love the church, you still love Jesus, but that awe, that wonder, you know, you're kind of in one of those low spots now? Well, that's what we want to talk to uh, for the next few weeks. We want to talk about worship. We want to talk about, you know, getting reconnected with our God and, and, and not so focused on its programs and its building and all of those things. They're all fine. They're great. You know, they're wrapping paper. The gift of the sa- is the Savior. It's, it's, it's Jesus Christ. I mean, can you just imagine here if suddenly all of our eyes were, were open to the reality of Jesus Christ, that he's present with us right now? I mean, literally. I mean, that, that if, if, if it was like he was up here on the podium or, or sitting next to you in the pew, that your eyes are open to the reality that Jesus Christ is here. I mean, he says where two or three are gathered, there I am in their myths. We have more than two or three people here. So Jesus Christ is here. I mean, his presence is, is here in our lives. It's here in our church. Wouldn't that just, having that vision, that understanding that Jesus is literally here, Wouldn't that change the dynamic of the service of how we worship and how we sing and our attentiveness and our focus and our our prayers and all of those things? I mean, wouldn't it change your your, your posture and your body position? There'd be an alertness about us. I mean, can you imagine singing a song like All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name with Jesus sitting next to you or Jesus sitting on the throne, you know, up here? All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. I mean, if we really had the vision of Jesus, if we knew Jesus was here, wouldn't it change? You know, I'm not talking about the volume, but just our heart, our engaging in that message. Oh, that with yonder sacred throne, we at his feet will fall. We'll join the everlasting throng and crown him Lord of all. If we literally could remind ourselves that the presence of God is here. And the presence of God is with me when I'm in my car. And it's with you at home when you open up your Bible to read or when you are there at work, that God's presence is there. Wouldn't that just change our whole lives? 
I mean, and think about the message. Can you imagine reading a familiar portion that we've read over and over and over again? You've heard so many messages on it. Can you imagine reading that message with Jesus literally sitting right next to you? You know, reading, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, have everlasting life. And there he is. You know, there he is. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, that Jesus Christ died for us. He's sitting there, and you can see the nail scars in his hands. I mean, the scars from the thorn upon his brow. I mean, there it is. Wouldn't, wouldn't that change how we worship and how we focus? Well, folks, the beauty of it is that Christ is here. Every single Sunday, every single morning you open up God's word for devotions, he is there. When you're at work, when you're sitting in the office, when you're out in a field, when your family sits down for a meal, no, he may not be there in the flesh, but God is there in the spirit. Because remember, God gave us a promise. He gave us a promise in John chapter 14, verses 15 and through 20. He says, if you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. See, Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's about to be crucified. You know, he's going to be resurrected. He's going to ascend back into heaven. So he's preparing them. He says, I'm going to send you another helper. He, he will be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. Because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Then a little bit later on, it says in John 16... I have many more things to to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is trying to help us to focus, to see Jesus. You know, he'll take what's his, he'll, he'll, he'll disclose it to us. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, he's going to disclose the things of the Father to you. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Folks, that's not talking about the resurrection there. He's not saying a little while you're not going to see me, I'm going to be crucified and then I'm going to come back. He's not referencing the, the context of this is is their lives in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. He said, in a little while, I'm not going to be here, but in a little while, you will literally see me through the Holy Spirit. The presence of Jesus Christ is, is here within our lives. And that should make all the difference to us. All the difference as we come together to worship. And even when we're in the quietness and, and we're by ourselves. I mean, everybody, if you think about it, everybody likes, loves to be, complimented, something noticed that they've done. You know, and, and, and a lot of worship and thanksgiving is paying God a compliment. I mean, we love it when someone says, oh, you have a nice dress or you did good work or whatever. Well, can you imagine 
what it's like for a bunch of people like us to get together and, and just focus on God to tell him how wonderful he is. I mean, prepare a special service for him and then to actually be engaged in what is happening. Well, that is what worship is. We do it. We do it as a large group. And it's important that we do it as a large group. It's important that we come together because we have a wonderful God and together we can celebrate that fact. I say it all the time. God does something in church here that he cannot do and he does not do when you are by yourself. When you're picking up your Bible and you're sitting on the couch and you're reading, that's important, but that is something totally different. There is something that is done in the fellowship of believers that you cannot get anywhere else but to be in a group of believers. Something happens. Something happens special. And that's the wonder, that's the, the glory of us coming to, together to worship. You know, we do it as a large group. We come together because we have that wonderful God. And together we want to celebrate that fact. We do it when we get in small groups. We speak the name of Jesus and the ABFs and Bible studies, remind each other, you know, that God loves us. Christ died for us. You know, we have a merciful God. Those are all things that are reminding us of focusing, practicing the presence of God. To remember that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what's going on in your life right now, God's not left you. God has not left you. You may, you may be having trouble finding him through all the distractions and all the emotions or whatever, but God, God has never left you. We practice the presence of God in the quietness of our hearts when no one else can hear. But our souls are stirred by the thought of Jesus Christ. Have you ever had that when just by alone or even here in the service with a wonder of who Jesus is? So that's what we're going to be focusing on for the next few weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to take us any farther here. Um, I want to leave you, though, with a few practical things that you can do to help your worship. Right? To help prepare yourself to come. And I'm just talking specifically here. Obviously, we worship other places, but these recommendations are for right here. For Sunday morning when we come together, let me give you a few practical steps that you can take. Uh, this one comes from when I was in college. And I've never forgotten the professor that said that. He says, sometimes the greatest gift that I can get, give Jesus is to get enough sleep the night before I go to church. Eight hours of sleep, whatever it is that you need. Get enough sleep. I know for some of you that may not be possible but what's in, when it's in your choice, you want to you wanna come here. You want to be alert. You know, you're about to meet the king of kings. And so, you know, how much time do you prepare for coming to worship? You know, we just get up and we do it and we come. Let's, let's spend some time preparing. Let's, let's make sure that we're, we're, we're focused. Um, another thought, before you go to bed on Saturdays, begin to focus on the Lord. You know, pray. The next day is the day. I mean, you should have an anticipation that tomorrow's Sunday morning. I'm going to meet in a setting that God wants to do something. God wants to meet me. And just prepare your heart. Pray about that. You know, pray. A, let, have God prepare you. You know, maybe take your Bible out. Read a psalm. Um, often on Saturdays, um, I'll take my messages out, my ABF, and, and, I, and I'll, you know, before I go to bed, I'll, I'll look at them. You know, so I'm thinking about them before I go to bed and, and, and what the Lord, you know, he can work that in my hearts. In the morning, when you get up on Sunday morning, 
and you're getting ready for church, give yourself plenty of time. And, and I say this, you know, with, with uh, you know, families with young kids. Um, you know what it takes, and you know all the interruptions and all the things that can derail. Well, give yourself some margins. You know, you don't want it to be hectic. You don't want to be rushed. I mean, if you can, put on some Christian music in the background while you're eating breakfast. You know, while you're getting ready, you know, to come to church. Start preparing before you actually even get here. You know, that, that this is about Jesus. This is about Christ. You know, in the car on the way as you're driving here, listen to music. You know, Christian music as you're coming. You know, this is all in preparation. I would encourage you as well to arrive at the church 10 to 15 minutes early. You know, once again, margins. You know, to get here because... Again, something is happening here that can't happen out there by ourselves. So you want to be able to have time to, to connect with people, you know, to be encouraging and to kind of get in the flow of it, not, you know, getting in out of breath and, you know, mind hectic. And, you know, we don't want this to be a blip on the radar. I mean, this should be the focus of your Sunday. This should be the focus of, 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 of your, your whole morning. You know, get all the busy things done ahead of time. You know, give yourself time to get the children settled. You know, greet people. Be in the sanctuary a little early so you can begin to hone in your thoughts on Christ. I mean, if you're sitting, when you're sitting there waiting for the service to start, you know, mentally pause on, on pictures of Christ, maybe at Calvary or at the resurrection or, or you know, something of Christ's earthly ministry. You know, just think of Scripture. This is readying our hearts, preparing our hearts. You say, well, why all the preparation? I can just come and go to church. Why all the preparation? Well, because of the deep-seated conviction that Jesus Christ is present here. He is the honored guest in this service. It's like he's sitting in the pew next to you, or he's up on this stage. You know, that, that he is here. He is the focus. And, and we want to be ready. We want to be ready to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I mean, if you really think about it, as we think about the church versus the presence of Christ, which would you rather have? Would you rather have record attendance on Sunday morning? Or would you rather have an awareness that Jesus Christ is present, that he is here? Of course, I, I hope you would say I'd rather have it to be that Jesus is here. That that's the most important thing that's going to happen today is that I meet with Jesus Christ and all this that we do it is for him today and so we're going in just a moment the worship team is going to come up and we're going to spend the, about 10 minutes 15 minutes we're just going to be worshiping we're going to be putting our focus on I, I just want to encourage you you know get the distractions look at the words let the words resonate in your heart I mean, think about them in context of you. When it makes a proclamation about something, about who Jesus is to you, I mean, personalize that. You know, in a way of thanksgiving, in a way of praise, connect with the songs. Don't just sing them. You know, internalize these as an expression to our God and Savior. So, Father, I ask you to, to just move in our hearts as only you can. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you that we have this time at the end of the service, just to practice what we've talked about. And God, we just want it to be just part of our DNA 
to come together and worship and to love you and to express ourselves to you. Especially right now, I ask you to close out all of the distractions that are waiting me when the final amen happens as this group. Father, this is all about you. It's not about what's to come. It's about, it's about your focus. It's about who you are. And I thank you, Father, that you receive our worship. In thy name we pray.